There it is. There's 11. I would say if you asked 10 people what the most important passage of Scripture in the Bible is, you'd probably get 10 different answers, I would say. Because that's, that's a hard statement. The most important Scripture in the Bible. I want to share with you as we start this morning what I think is the most important story, happening, passage in the whole Bible. And it's in Genesis. Somewhere, Ken Ham gets real excited and goes, yes, it is. It's not Genesis 1, I don't think, as important as that is. Story about a man named Abram. Anybody ever heard of Abram? Nobody? Good. Let me give you a little breakdown here. Abram was 75 years old. Anybody in here 75? Ethan, 70. Abram was 75 years old when God appeared to him and told him to leave his house and his country and to, are you ready for this? Go to the place where God would show him. Now, stop a second. Imagine you're at your house and God comes to you in some form. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't say. You're 75. Now, you're 75, you're pretty much set in your ways, right? God shows up at your house and says, I want you to leave your home, your extended family, and I want you to go where I will show you. Now, that's crazy, Right? Would anybody be okay with that? And this is not a story. This is history. This was a fact. This happened. So at 75 years old, God shows up, says, leave here, leave this place you've known all these years, and go where I will show you to go. God would promise him offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sands on the sea. 75 years old. God promised him also a land for all his descendants to dwell in. God promised that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and his descendants. God promised to be his God. And now get a hold of this. And the scriptures say that Abram believed God and that it was counted to him as righteousness. 75-year-old man, get up, leave your house, leave your home, leave your family, go where I'll send you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants as numbers as the sands on the sea, stars in the sky, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. Go. Abram says, okay. Does that unsettle anybody besides me? That's insane. In our logical society today, we'd say that's stupid. Now imagine, okay, I'm 41. My father is 71. If dad came to me and said, son, we're leaving. Where are you going? I don't know. But God said, go. Dad, you've lived here all your life. Everything you've got is here, I know. And God said, go. Dad, Dad, did they change your blood pressure medicine? I mean, really, what's going on here? I want you to get the absurdity of this situation. Because it is absurd. Then get this. Then God made a covenant with Abram to guarantee everything that he had promised him. Now you have to understand how grave it is to make a covenant with someone. In the Old Testament, which actually means Old Covenant, by the way, the Hebrew word for covenant actually means to cut a covenant. Why would that be? What does that mean? Because covenants always included blood. And this one was no different. If you've got Bibles, turn to Genesis 15. This is the start of what I think is the most important scripture in the Bible. 
It actually runs all the way through a couple chapters. I believe, I believe to answer the question, I believe Genesis 15 through 17 is the most important scripture in the Bible. By the way, write that down. Genesis 15. And actually this short passage here in Genesis 15 is probably the most important part of that and most, most important part of Scripture. I believe Genesis 15 is the greatest, single, greatest, most important passage in the Bible. I know that's a pretty grandiose claim. Now, after making Abram all these promises, God establishes His covenant with Abram in an amazing way. Look at, look at Genesis 15, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read 8 through 11. Abram says this, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now that doesn't seem too fancy, doesn't seem too earth-shattering, but it is. As was normal cutting covenant practice, animals were brought and they were cut in half. That's pretty gross, right? Then what they did was they took half of the animal and put it up on one side of a hill. And they took the other half of the animal and put it up on the other side of another hill and they let the blood drain out, down into the ditch between the animals. Get that picture in your head. Animals cut in half, laid on opposite sides of this ditch up on a hill, blood draining down into a ditch. Yuck. What was supposed to happen was that both parties of the covenant, covenants always involve at least two parties, and the greater person, the greater authority establishes the covenant with the lesser person or the lesser authority. So here God's establishing a covenant with Abraham. Abram at this point, sorry. And what they were supposed to do was both parties of the covenant were supposed to walk through the blood. And the blood would splash up on their robes. Make a mess. And what they were saying when they walked the blood path was this. If I ever break this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And may this blood serve as a reminder that I will spill my blood if I break this covenant. It's pretty serious. Hugely serious, actually. May my blood be spilled and may my life be forfeit if I break this covenant. Now watch this. Look at verse 20. We're going to read 20 through... I'm sorry, look at verse 12 through 20. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Now this guy's already 75. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now get a hold of what just happened, because if you don't stop and look, you're going to miss it. First, what happens to Abram? He goes to sleep. And not just sleep, but a deep sleep. In Anybody value treasure sleep as much as me? God, I 
love sleep. Scripture has admonitions against that, by the way. But in a deep sleep, what are you doing? You ain't doing nothing. Maybe slobbering. So I want you to get a picture here. Abram is dead deep asleep. That's weird. As he is sleeping, somehow, he sees a vision of God. Now what does God do? Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now what? What? It says a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now look at verse 18 again. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So what had just happened was the covenant was established. Please listen. As God passed through the pieces in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now we won't get into the meaning of the pot and the torch today, but what we will get into is the fact that God in two forms passed between the pieces and established the covenant. What did Abram do to establish this covenant? He slept. Or in other words, nothing. God, in representing both parties, because He passed through in two forms, there have to be two parties to the covenant for it to be valid. God, in representing both parties, is telling Abram, I am establishing this covenant between us. If it is broken by me or you, I, I will be the one who spills my blood to make things right between us. Let my blood, God says, be given to pay the penalty for the broken covenant. If you break, or more likely, when you break the covenant, I will spill my blood and satisfy the covenantal requirements between us so that we can remain in covenant together forever. Wow. Now some of you all have heard that before. Some of you all have not. If you have not heard that before, what I want you to hear as clear as you can hear today is God established a covenant with a man. And He established the priority of that covenant by saying, when you break this covenant, I will pay the penalty for that. And if you've never heard this before today, I want you to hear this as well. Abram did nothing to establish this covenant. Great story, right? Yeah, until you look a little further down the road a bit for Abram. 24 years later. Let me say that again. 24 years later, Abram was still following God around he was still believing Him. He was still obeying Him mostly. But there's only one problem. Abram and his wife Sarai had no children. No child means no heir. No heir infers that God couldn't bless all the earth through Abram's descendants because He didn't have any. So the man is 99 years old. <laughs> Abram and Sarah had at one point tried to make this whole descendants thing happen. What Abram did was he took Sarah's maid who helped her at Sarah's bidding. Sarah said, take my maid, go into her, have a child by her so that you'll have a descendant because I can't give you children. So they tried that. The maid, Hagar, did have a son and God said, that's not your heir. So here he stands... 99 years old, no kids, but a covenant with God. 
Abram, did somebody switch your blood pressure medicine? Are you sure you heard God right? So 24 years later, there was no child, no heir, no descendants, none. And then God does something. Go to Genesis chapter 17. You're like, I thought we were reading Romans. We are. You have to know this to understand our Romans passage today. Genesis 17. Read with me starting in verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And hear me say this today, up front. We're going to read some long passages of Scripture today. It's great if you have it in front of you. And it's great if you understand that this is the Word of God. And it's not just a boring, long passage that we're reading. Genesis 17. Stay with me. I'm building a case, okay? Starting in verse 1. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The difference is Abraham means father of a multitude, not just father. 99 years old, 24 years later. God continues in verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any, circumcised, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's read on. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, this was the child that he had had through Hagar, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Then look what Abraham does. Verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house, which was a lot. Abraham was very wealthy, had a lot of servants, a lot of people around him took Ishmael his son and all those who were born in his household, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him.
That's bananas. That's crazy. So through all this, in 24 years, Abram and Sarah had no son, but God promises that they will have. Abram at 99 years old, Abram at 99 years old, is promised that Sarai, his 90-year-old wife, will have a child. And then God tells Abram, whose name he changes here to Abraham, that his part in this deal is to do what with all the males in his house? Hard to whisper that circumcise. Circumcise them. Now, to avoid being too graphic or descriptive, we'll simply say that circumcision is the cutting off of a piece of skin, the foreskin, on a boy or a man's private part. Okay? Just so you know, that's what we're talking about. And a hush falls on the congregation. <laughs> and what does God say that circumcision is in verse 11 of what we just read? He says, it's a sign of the covenant between me and you. He goes as far to say in verse 14 that any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this thing about circumcision was a big deal from the get-go. A big deal. Any of Abraham's descendants who were not circumcised were cut off from the people of God, from God's chosen people. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant for the Jews. One commentator, not like a common potato, commentator, people that write commentaries, okay? One commentator said that the importance of circumcision for Judaism can hardly be overstated. According to J.D.G. Dunn, it was the, quote, single clearest distinguishing feature of the covenant people. The Jews would see their circumcision as a badge of honor, a sign of God's favor and choice of them. And they would look derogatorily at those who were uncircumcised with contempt and refer to them as the uncircumcision. Knowing where we've been so far in Romans, we probably can see that this is going to end poorly for these circumcised Jews, isn't it? So where have we been? We are still in point one of our big outline of Romans, which is the need for being right with God, sin. Actually, if you read it properly, it's sin, the need for being right with God. We're still in point one. And I'm telling you what, I feel like I'm in the sloth of despond. Anybody read a little John Bunyan, sloth of Pilgrim's Progress? It's, it's like you're just... You get bogged down in this sloth. All we're talking about is sin. All we're talking about is how bad everybody is. And that's where we're at for another week or two. So let me recap where we have been. Again, I, we need to do this to make sure we understand the context of what's going on. In our introduction, we saw Paul introducing himself to the Roman church. And he said, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I was sent from God. And I want to preach the gospel to you. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So plug that into circumcision and uncircumcision. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the circumcision and for the uncircumcision. And then we saw that the theme of the book is when he said, and the just shall live, the righteous man shall live by faith. And then he starts talking about how everybody is helpless to save themselves. At the end of chapter 1, he talked about the paganness of the pagan people who knew God but didn't acknowledge God, but they went through all these sins. And he talks about they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, and God gave them over. And we see a long list of sins, which are all bad gossip, disobedient to parents, homosexuality. They're all in the list. That's the pagan people. Then starting in chapter 2, he turns his attention to religious people. And he says, even them keeping their religion is not enough for them to be right with God. Doesn't matter how religious you are, if you're just outwardly religious, you're still in trouble. You still need God. Then he turns his attention to Jewish people who lean on the law, who lean on their nationality, their role as teachers to be right with God. And that brings us today to the last bastion for these Jewish folk 
which is circumcision. Knowing this to be a big deal, capital B, capital I, capital G. I guess I'm, I should do it this way for you guys, right? I'm doing it from my perspective. B-I-G. Circumcision is a huge deal. And knowing that they saw it as their part in the upholding of the covenant, I got a feeling this is going to be rough. So let's look at our text finally. We're going to read just like we did last week. Chapter 2 of the book of Romans, verses 17 through 29. Today we'll focus on 25 through 29. Would you stand with me as we read the Bible together? But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Today's passage. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You can see this is a big deal, right? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, oh my gosh, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Stay stand, let's pray. Great day, God. This is, <laughs> this is overwhelmingly big. I pray, I beg, I plead with you, God, that your Holy Spirit would work through this text today and that you would give us understanding and clarity and that our lives would be changed as a result. Please, God, please help us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. start with verse 25 and we actually won't spend a whole lot of time breaking down exactly what this passage means but we will spend a lot of time in the application of it for verse 25 circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law but if you break the law your circumcision becomes uncircumcision anybody remember last week how many fours were in that passage I think there were four fours. And look what we start with today. Four. Looky, looky. Four. Imagine that. Seems like it's Paul's favorite word. So let's take a quick look back and see what it connects to. Remember last week we, we looked at someone relying on the law to justify them. And let me read it again because it is pertinent. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So this for ties back into the thought of trusting your Jewishness to save you. If you call yourself a Jew, if you're sure you're a guide to the blind, an instructor, but don't do what you teach, 
then the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision, the ultimate sign that you are a Jew, is valuable if you obey the law. But if you don't obey the law, that circumcision doesn't mean a thing. Just like teaching the law but breaking it. Paul is trying to communicate that even the sign of the covenant is only a sign if that is the only proof you can point to to show that you know the God of the universe. If that's all you got, you ain't got nothing. If your life is marked by lawlessness or sin, and if you reach back into our First John stuff, how did John define sin? Sin is lawlessness. So he's making a connection here, sin and lawlessness. If your life is marked by lawlessness or sin, then your life is not one redeemed by God or empowered by Him. You are lost whether you were born of the bloodline of Abraham or not. And why is it valuable if you do obey the law, the sign of circumcision? Because it is an outward sign of an inward reality. It's a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. And God, having ordained it in the Abrahamic covenant, it is a precious treasure to the Jewish reader knowing that God is the one who orchestrated that. It marked them, literally, as distinctly covenant people. Now, we'll, man, Romans 9 is going to attack this. I want to read two verses out of Romans 9. In Romans 9, verses 4 and 5, you don't have to go there if you don't want to, Paul speaks of the benefits of being Jewish. Now listen, Romans 9, 4 and 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. End of Paul's passage there. We'll actually see some more of this next week in Romans 3, but here in Romans 9, Paul reminds us that the Jews were and are God's chosen people, and they have a rich heritage that they received from the hand of God Himself. The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs. And ultimately, he also reminds us that Jesus, the Christ, was in the flesh a full-blooded Jew. But our passage today reminds us that none of this is of any benefit regarding salvation, regarding being right with God if it is not coupled with doing God's will. Even if you are circumcised, if you don't do the law, do the will of God, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Which means you might as well not be circumcised because your status is the same as one who is not. In other words, you are out of right relationship with God. But would the opposite be true? Look at verse 26. So... If a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So here we see the opposite is true. If someone isn't circumcised but does what God prescribes through the law, his lack of circumcision isn't a detriment. His keeping the law is regarded as circumcision. Now stay with me. Back earlier in chapter 2, we saw that those without the law were treated as if they had the law if they kept the law. Same applies here. The physical aspect of circumcision isn't the big deal. The inner attitude, the inner person is the big deal. Again, see the emphasis on keeping or doing the precepts of the law. This is the only possible way... I'm sorry, this is only possible. Keeping the law is only possible by the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that back in earlier in chapter 2. Now, the next verse is kind of a surprise to me in this passage. Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Everybody still awake? Everybody with me? No. Okay. Yes. Good. 
Verse 27. Now listen, this verse takes a weird turn for me. Paul has been saying those who are uncircumcised will be as those who are circumcised if they keep the law. And here he says he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will do what? He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will do what? He will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Now what does that mean? Not only do the uncircumcised get the favor of God, they will condemn those who are circumcised but don't keep the law. Now what does that mean? At least two different schools of thought here. One is that their deeds, the uncircumcised's deeds, will cause the circumcised to feel condemned because they aren't doing what they know they should do. Anybody have that sibling rivalry thing? Your parents tell you to go clean your room. Your brother or sister goes and cleans his, his or her room. And you're in your room and you've pulled all your clothes out of your drawer. And you started out as a good thing. You were like, and I'm going to clean my room. And your mom or dad walks in. You've got clothes all over the floor. Like, what are you doing? I'm cleaning my room. Like, your brother's already done. You're like, you feel condemned? You feel judged against what they're doing as opposed to what you're doing? Or maybe worse, you just went up and you didn't start anything. You're just laying on your bed. Do you feel condemned when somebody does what they're supposed to and you don't? Yeah, you feel that. That could be one thought here is that the Jews look and they see non-Jews doing the law and they feel doggone. Feel awful. Feel bad. That's one possibility. Now the other is that the justified uncircumcised man, listen, will actually judge the circumcised man who didn't keep the law in the last day. There's a couple of passages that seem to support that, and this is just think about it. Listen to this Luke 13, verses 26 through 30. Listen, Jesus says to the Jews then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he, the judge, will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Listen. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Now, there are indications here that those from east and west, north and south, are Gentiles, not Jewish people. Seems like that's what Jesus is indicating in His harsh rebuke to the Jews of His day. And then, we can couple that with a statement from Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.3 to a bunch of Gentile believers. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels. And there are those who think that Christians who have been redeemed will sit in judgment over the nations in the last day with the authority of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, can you imagine the shock in the minds and hearts of Jewish folks who put their trust in their cultural heritage, their physical signs of the covenant as the chosen people of God, can you imagine their shock, when Gentile believers judge them in the presence of God. Talk about a shot to the confidence of the Jewish readers here, which is exactly what Paul wants. Verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Oh, here's our other four in this passage, four. Referring back to the previous verse, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. So those who are not circumcised will condemn the circumcised, for outward Jewishness does nothing for anyone in their standing with God. Outward Jewishness does nothing for anyone in their standing with God. And this verse is setting the stage for the next one, 
when it points to the insufficiency of outward means to appealing to be right with God. And that's pretty big, which sets us up for verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Everybody stand up a second. Okay, sit down. This is hard. Stay with me, okay? Okay? Thank you. Ethan's with me. This verse is monstrously huge. And what we're going to see for the rest of the book of Romans, this is huge. I wanted you to be awake to receive that. And we're plodding. I know, this is hard, okay? This is not easy. This is hard. I get it. And I'm not sorry. The national pride of the Jews, the hope of being right that they have, the hope that they have of being right, that hope is destroyed with this one verse. Destroyed. All the hope that national Jews had in being right with God was found in the promises God had given and the law He had given and the physical sign of circumcision that God had given them. And, and, and. And they had missed it. All their hope was in their outward efforts at obedience their outward understanding of the law, their outward act of circumcision. And here, Paul says Jewishness is what? It's inward. Jewishness is inward, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Tell Abraham that at 99 years old. This is a matter of the heart, Abraham. Doesn't feel like a matter of the heart. It hurts. It's physical. And how is it done? Oh God, please help us to see this. By the Spirit. Not by the letter. By the Spirit. Not by the law. And remember last week, we talked about the word Jew coming from a word that means praised. And Paul says the inwardly right Jew is not praised by men but by God, which implies that national Jews, outward Jews, were seeking man's approval by outward acts and that the only praise they were receiving was from men, not from God. All hope of national Jewishness earning God's favor or making men right with God is gone now with this verse. It's gone. And that is exactly Paul's goal. To strip ethnic Jews of all hope of being right with God by outward acts or signs. And to strip all men and women of any hope of making themselves right with God by any outward act. By any physical act. You have no hope of being right with God by doing something yourself. Zero. And it is the Holy Spirit's goal for us to understand that. So how does this affect us now? Let's dig into the application. Please hear me say, as we move into this application, please hear me say, if you are trusting anything any person, any act, any sign to make you right with God and you're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are wrong. You are lost. If you're counting on the law to save you, if you're counting on yourself to do better to save you, you are lost and you have no hope of being saved that way. 
Only the finished work of Christ can save you. Now, God's part and our part. What did Abram do while God passed through the pieces? Remember? Deep sleep. I mean, dude is out. God vowed to pay the penalty when Abram and or his descendants broke the covenant. Then, when circumcision was given two chapters later, as a sign of the covenant, Abraham and his descendants were told to carefully observe and keep that sign. But that did not put the blood guilt on them. Now this is... This is huge. Yes, they were to be cut off if they did not observe the sign and keep it. And God said they had broken the covenant if they weren't circumcised. And their penalty was what? To be cut off from God's people. Separate yourself from that person because he's not observing what I told him to observe. God's establishment of the covenant between him and Abraham put the penalty on who for them breaking the covenant? Who? Put the penalty on God. God's establishment of the covenant between him and Abraham put the penalty on himself for the breaking of the covenant. This is so steeped in Old Testament truth. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. We're looking at a lot of Old Testament today. And that's good. I want to read you a sampling of what the penalty for breaking the covenant was for this newly formed nation of Israel. Now Deuteronomy is when the Israelites, most of you probably know the story, they go down into Egypt and they become slaves. And they, they grow into a big giant nation. Like some people say over a million people and God delivers them out of Egypt and is taking them to the land that He had promised Abraham. You've got to understand Abraham if you're going to understand the Bible. Plain and simple. So He delivers... Anybody, you know, the ten plagues, right? He does all that and He delivers them out of Egypt and they wander through the desert for how long? Forty years. We read that so glibly. Forty years because they were disobedient. And they're about to go into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy is second law. Deuteronomy. The second giving of the law. While they were in the wilderness, God had given them the law the first time. Here, right before they go into the promised land, God restates the law for them. And He tells them in chapter 28 what the penalty will be when they break the covenant as a nation. You know what? If you're there, read along with me. We're going to start in verse 15. He tells them first, if you're obedient, this will happen. I'll bless you. I'll make you numerous. I'll, you'll never miscarry. All this great stuff. But then start in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until He has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven, Dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now, I'm going to stop reading there, but if you'll look in your Bibles, starting in verse 25, and go all the way down to verse 68. That passage is all curses. 
and they are awful. And God says, when you get into the promised land and when you stop keeping my law, I am going to pour and heap curses upon you. For 50 some odd verses. 50 some odd verses of curses. And they're awful. I'm going to start back in 64. Now again, know that I've skipped a huge chunk of curses. Verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and you shall serve other gods of wood and stone which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, back where He had delivered them from, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Oh. Happy birthday. Whoever's birthday received the curses. Golly. These things happened to the nation of Israel, and they literally happened. One part of the curses says you'll eat your children because there'll be no food. That happened. It was horrendous. And you may think, well, they deserved it for breaking God's law. They broke the covenant, right? But wait. Didn't God say He would bear the punishment if they broke the covenant? Isn't that what we established at the beginning of this? All that business with Abram and passing between the pieces? That's where all this comes in for us as new covenant believers. Israel bore the curses of breaking the law, but they were not cut off from being God's people because God had made that covenant with Abram. And God promised Abram that all the nations would be blessed through him and his descendants. That was fulfilled when Jesus, the seed, the seed of Abraham was born, lived a perfect life and then died on a Roman cross to spill his blood for us. You see, it was God Himself paying the penalty for His people, breaking the covenant. He had established all those thousands of years before. As Abram slept, God said He would die when the covenant was broken. And He did! His blood spilled. His body broken. He fulfilled the covenant. Why? Please understand this so that we would never have to be cut off from Him. So that we could be His people forever made right by His own sacrifice. And He doesn't tell us to be circumcised anymore, does He? Medically, there's some proof that you probably should. And there's some proof that says you probably should. What's our sign of the covenant now? This is a sign of the covenant. And what's the other? That we should do physically. Baptism. Baptism corresponds with circumcision for us. We should be baptized. But hear me say this. Baptism does not save you in the same way that circumcision did not save the Jews. It is important. It's a great testimony. It's a great sign. But it does not save you. What is your part in this? What is God's part in this? Who passed between the pieces? God passed between the pieces as Abraham slept. So what was Abram's part in establishing that covenant? I've already asked this. He did nothing. He did nothing. You say, well, he did bring the animals. He did cut them in half. He did set them apart just like God told him to do. That didn't establish the covenant. God could have done that like that. The covenant was established by God as he passed through those pieces twice. Abram's part was to sleep. God's part was to say, I'll pay the penalty when you break the covenant. Now, that's the old covenant. What does the new covenant look like? Now, 
those of you that weren't here last week, I'm sorry because I keep referring back to it, but it's so important. Last week we referred to Ezekiel chapter 36. You can be turning there if you've got a Bible. In Ezekiel 36, God says that He blessed His people, they disobeyed Him, and then He disciplined them, and the nations decried the name of God and blasphemed His name and said that they didn't want anything to do with their God because God either wasn't strong enough to keep them in their land or God was so mean that He would discipline them. Now, how did God respond to that? He did it in beautiful covenant-keeping style. In Ezekiel 36, let me start reading past where we read last week. This ties together. Stay with me, okay? Verse 22 of Ezekiel 36. We're almost done, if you can believe it. Therefore, God says, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned, profaned, profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations. Now, what happened in Deuteronomy 36 was, he said, when you break the covenant, I'm going to take you out of your land. I'm going to spread you all over the world. Here, he says... I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. He had promised Abraham that land, that specific land. But that's not all. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Oh God, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. All those curses. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. God said, be sorry, but know that there's nothing that you can do to make you right with me again to the Israelites. What did He say that He would do though? He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will make you clean. And I will remove the heart of stone that is in you. And I will give you a heart of what? Flesh. Flesh. What was Abraham to cut off in the sign of circumcision? Flesh. I want you to understand this as we wrap up. In the New Covenant, it is God who is circumcising His people. It is God who is circumcising them not in the flesh of their foreskin, but in the flesh of their heart. He's taking out their heart of stone. He's giving them a heart of flesh. And He is doing it. Does He tell them to get a heart of flesh? Does He tell them to circumcise their hearts? Not here. There is a passage where He does say that. But He's telling them, I am going to put a heart of flesh within you. And listen, New Covenant believers. Listen, ancient Jews who were relying on circumcision. It is not what you do that saves you. It is what God has done. Only God can give you a heart of flesh. Only God can circumcise your heart. Only God by the power of the Spirit. That phrase, 
but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. I will give you a new... Let's try that again. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the... I will give you a new... Not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Not what you do, not what you did, but what the Spirit alone can do in and through you. Paul has brought these Jewish readers to their knees and shown them, you cannot do it. Your heritage, your law, your name, your circumcision cannot save you. And if you prance into God's presence on the last day and say, but I was circumcised, there very well may be an uncircumcised man seated in the judgment seat beside Christ and he may very well condemn you and turn to Jesus who will say, depart from me, I never knew you. But I was circumcised! And you may cry that all the way into the very gates of hell. But I was circumcised. Let's end in Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We will be done. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. God speaking through Moses at the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 8. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it and He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all His commandments that I command you today. Only, only when the Lord your God circumcises your hearts and the heart of your offspring will you be able to keep the law. Your efforts at keeping the law to earn God's favor will not suffice. Your efforts to have physical signs to show that you mean what you're talking about will not help you. Only by the Spirit, only when the Lord your God circumcises your heart will you be able to keep the commandments of God and therefore be right with God. Please hear me, church. It is His doing. It is not yours. So you're sitting here today as we finish. It's off. And you're saying, so what have I got to do? Trust that He has done it. That's what you've got to do. It's not keeping the Sabbath. It's not keeping the law. It's not being circumcised. It's not being Jewish. It is trusting that He will do what He said He would do if I will simply say, I believe. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So God, would you, by the power of your Spirit, cause belief to happen in this place this morning.
belief in you, belief in your ability, belief that when you establish that covenant with Abram, when you passed between the pieces and took the burden of sin upon yourself and the penalty for sin upon yourself, that you were speaking of the cross of Christ. And you said, I will hang there. I will bleed. I will die when you break the covenant. And I will make you right with myself. And only I can do it. Sleep on, Abraham. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. God, would you cause a deep sleep to come upon us so that we might rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and not our deadly doings. By the Spirit, not by the letter. Not by strength, not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. May we trust you. May we confess that we are sinners. We are covenant breakers, and we deserve the curse. But you took the curse upon yourself. And on the final day, we will hide behind the person of Christ and say, because of Him, because of your covenant, through Him, I have hope to enter into the rest that you've prepared for me. By the power of your Spirit, God, we ask it and expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay and eat with us. Chew the fat with us. Hug a neck, kiss a baby. Love you guys. Hope to see you Wednesday at 7. Please be here Wednesday at 7.